Let's turn in God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 6. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. We'll read the first 15 verses. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. On the basis of that passage and many others throughout sacred scripture, the Heidelberg Catechism explains that fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer in Lord's Day 51. You'll find Lord's Day 51 on page 27 in the back of your Psalter. Which is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners, our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. Beloved of God, if we have been praying the first four petitions of the Lord's Prayer with any sincerity, we really can't do any other but pray 
what is the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer now at this point? If we've prayed those first four petitions and done so genuinely, we've also seen that we struggle to live them out in our life once we get off of our knees and go back to our regular life and the pullings of temptation this way and that. We've prayed genuinely, Father, hallowed be thy name. That's my desire as thy child, Father, that thy name would be held in honor, would be understood, that thy glory would be known. We've prayed that God's kingdom would come and that's genuine in us. We desire that his kingdom would come be more established chiefly in my own heart and in my own life. We pray, Thy will be done, Father. I want Thy will to be performed, what Thou dost command to be carried out in earth as it is in heaven. But then we can't fail to notice that we get up and go into our life and there's, there's times when I don't actually want the hallowing of His name. I want the hallowing of my own name. And there's times when, if I'm honest with myself, I I don't really want his kingdom to come anymore in my heart. In fact, there's times when I want my kingdom to come, the kingdom I'm building for the glory of myself to come. And there's times when I don't want his will to be done, even in my own life. I want my will to be performed so that This dawns on us as we're praying this prayer. And it makes us grateful that the Lord puts this petition now here in this position as the fifth. In fact, even what seems the most simple one, give us daily bread. We've seen that I'm not always content with what my Father gives me, even though it's a lot more than daily bread, much less content if you would give me daily bread. And we can't help now but cry out, also forgive us our debts, Father. In addition to all the other sins in my life, the very praying of this Lord's Prayer has convicted me of sin. That's a good thing, because... We talk about forgiveness of sins so often, and rightly, we say the words in our prayers, forgive my sins often. May that never change. That is a good thing. But we all have to confess that there's times when we just say it. But the Lord would have us say it not simply out of a habit, but out of the knowledge of our sin. The knowledge that we need this grace of forgiveness so that the heart is asking for this. It needs to ask for this. It cannot but not ask for this. So having got this far in our exposition of the Lord's Prayer, let's pray this prayer with understanding as it's explained to us this morning 
and then from the heart in our own lives as we take it up under the theme asking for forgiveness. Notice first the meaning of that, second the necessity of that, and third the way Christ gives us in which to do so. Asking for forgiveness, the meaning, the necessity, and the way. What is the meaning of this? When Christ teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. What are these debts that the Lord would have us pray about? Well, as you saw in the reading of the Word this morning, that phrase, forgive us our debts, comes directly from the teaching of the Lord Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, recorded here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, where that petition is given just that way, forgive us our debts. And yet, it's worth us knowing that there is a parallel account in chapter 11 of the book of Luke, where the Lord taught this same Lord's Prayer another time to his disciples, and there he used a different word in the fifth petition. There it's forgive us our sins. And he did that purposefully so that when we put these two words together, sins and debts, we can understand exactly what we are praying about in this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Let's take the second one first, the one from Luke. Sins. You know what that is. Sin means a missing of the mark. God has created human beings in such a way that we are not just robots with the things that we do, but we are consciously always moving toward a mark. We are aiming at something. We have motivations for what we do. We cannot but have motivations for what we do. There is something that drives us. There's a goal, a desire that we are reaching out to with the things that we do. And when God created us in the beginning, He created us in such a way that we were directed toward the right mark, the right target for our desires and motivations. That is, Him, love for Him, the glory of His name, what is the essence of the law that we, we read this Sunday morning and most Sunday mornings. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the mark, that's the target the objective of our desires and motivations, what it must be. And before we fell, that's what we were driving at, always. But after we fell, our motivations and our desires are aimed at a different mark. The mark that we're supposed to aim at does not fall away. God does not say now after the fall, now it doesn't matter what mark you're supposed to aim at, but the mark is still me and the glory of my name. That's how I created you in the beginning. That's the right way. And yet, our desires and motivations are instead turned for the glory of self and the love of ourselves. We miss the mark. And it's not just that, that we see that mark, the glory of God, and we're all, we're all really aiming at it. We're, we're trying to shoot the arrow of our lives motivated by love for Jehovah God, trying to arrive there, and we just 
we just can't quite do it. We just miss off to the side a little bit. But there is a rebellion in us so that we see that mark. We understand that that should be what our motivations and desires are driving toward. And instead, we shoot the opposite way towards the mark of love of self outside of Jesus Christ. Man really only has one sola in his life. You remember the five solas of the Reformation? Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, all leading to the mark of Soli Deo Gloria. That's the, the mark, the target for our motivations. All the other solas are leading us to. But outside of Jesus Christ, man really only has one sola. And it's sola self. And that's what sin is. And in all of our other motivations, it all boils down to sola self. And we're all guilty of it. Even as Christians, we can be guilty of it. Still rebelling, not aiming at the target of the glory of His name, instead aiming at the target of self. And when God's creatures do this, they sin. And when they sin, they incur debt. That's the second word, the word used here in Matthew 6, verse 11. We are accountable for this when we do this. When we drive towards another mark, the mark of sola self. We become indebted to Jehovah God in a twofold way. We owe God still the kind of life and obedience that that seeks His glory, honors Him for who He is, and we now owe Him the debt of bearing the just punishment that He said we would bear when we don't seek that mark, but see the mark of soul self. That's our debt. We sin, and the sin incurs debt. Debt that we cannot repay. But now, in the Lord's teaching us of the fifth petition, remember that He's teaching us to pray concerning all of this, to pray concerning sin and concerning debt in this petition. This sin and this debt is an intensely personal matter. We're not just here acknowledging that the concept of sin makes sense to us or the concept of debt as a result of sin has a kind of logic to it that we can see. We're not merely acknowledging that this is a true thing. Back when we went through the Apostles' Creed, earlier in the Heidelberg Catechism, we were taught to confess the truth. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. But here, we're taught to pray concerning our sin. And prayer is an intensely personal matter. This thing that we know, we understand, is not just this objective thing out there called sin and debt. But this is something that I see in myself. I see that I turn and aim. That my motivations and desires are driven often towards sola self and sort of soli deo gloria. And I understand the debt, therefore, that I owe to God, this God who put me on His earth, who created me and gave me life. I have not sought what I was supposed to seek. And the Lord is leading us to a personal confession of this 
in prayer. Forgive us our sins and our debts, the ones that we know in our own selves, the sin that we see arising out of our own hearts and in our own lives, things that we should have said or done but we didn't, things that we should not have said or done but we did, sins of pride, of lust, of envy, of scorn that are not just hypothetical hanging out there or sitting upon a shelf but are observable in my own heart, in my own mind, in my own life. Things that I can point to and say specifically, this makes me a debtor to Jehovah God because of what I did and I wanted to do it when I did it. Sometimes to our shame, there's no more personal content to that petition. Forgive us our debts. Than just that. Forgive us our debts. And sometimes I think, if I judge us by judging myself, that we kind of like it that way. I can just say the phrase, forgive us our debts, and I don't have to look at my specific sins. But you understand, of course, the Lord is not exonerating us from putting personal content into this petition. He has to make it general because he's giving this to the church. He can't put all the specific sins of everybody into this. But we are to take this. Forgive our debts, our sins, and put into it the ones that we see in our own selves. And make it part of our personal confession and repentance. Forgive my jealousy, O God. Forgive my harsh thoughts or my harsh words that I spoke this week to my spouse. Forgive my selfishness and complaining heart with respect to my callings in my life. Forgive my impatience with my children. Forgive, Father, as a child, my impatience with my parents and my rebellion against them, not honoring the fifth commandment. I see these things rising up in me and coming out of me, O oh God. And I acknowledge them for what they are. I say about them what you say about them. That's what confession of sin is. It's agreeing with God about my sins. So that everything he would say about them, I say about them. It's rebellion. It's selfish. And repentance is turning from that sin that I have just confessed. And saying, I'm not going to hold on to it as something dear to me that I love, that I want to nurse. But I'm going to give it up. I despise it. And I turn to Thee, God, and embrace Thee. Confession and repentance. It's a prayer concerning our sins and debts. And concerning the source out of which these sins that produce debt in us arise. Ultimately, beloved, we're not merely sinners because we sin. 
but we sin because we are sinners. Why do we, even as Christians, even as regenerated, turn away from the mark of soli deo gloria to the mark of sola self, aim instead at our own desires? The answer is because we have that nature that remains in us alongside of that new nature. And that old nature still wants nothing to do with the proper mark and wants to aim at self and self only. There's an evil root that is still within us. And our confession of our sin has to include that. And so the catechism explains that too, that we're confessing here. Not only our activities and thoughts and words that are sinful, but also that evil root we're confessing to God. Be pleased not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. Our depravity, my own it's mine. It's a living thing within me. Yes, all men have this, but I have this too, and I see its motions within me. And though it comes to me from the fall of my first head, Adam, I understand that I am a part of the race of men that is guilty for this. That God gave me a head. And he gave me a good head. You really couldn't ask for a better head than Adam. who was sinless. And yet he fell and the whole race in him. So that I as a part of the race of men that fell am guilty of that. And I confess that I have a nature that is constantly producing this that is against thee. And confessing all that, personally, and repenting, the Lord Jesus teaches us to come before our Father and to say all of that, actually say it in prayer to our Father, and then to say this, and now God, my Father, I want you to see all of that and to see that I see it and I want you to forgive it. And if you think about it, that is an astoundingly bold thing that he teaches us to do. And he teaches us to say it so direct. He doesn't teach us to say God, our Father, if you would be so kind, would you maybe consider exonerating me for these things? But instead, it's very blunt and, and to the point and concise and direct. God, forgive these debts. That's pretty bold. The word forgive that the Lord Jesus uses in Matthew 6, verse 11, literally means let go of and send away. Let go of and send away. Like a person holding a balloon that's full of helium, lets go of it and, and sends it away so that it's, 
It's gone. This is what we're asking God to do with all of the debt that we have incurred from all of our sins. That he, he take this, this massive debt that we owe and just send it away. Cancel it so that it doesn't hang over our heads any longer, but is gone, utterly gone. So that in his own mind, those sins and the, and the debt that they incurred do not affect his relationship to us so that they're not between us any longer. We're asking him to tie those debts, as it were, to that balloon so that they're gone. They're not in play when he looks at us, when he relates to us. So he doesn't hold them against us in his right relationship to us. That's bold. We're asking this of a, of a perfectly just being who we know can't simply overlook our sins. Not only that, we're asking him not only negatively to, to just exonerate us and let all the debt that we've incurred from all of this go, but we're asking him also positively to be pleased with us. To see us as righteous. We're not, we're not just asking him to, if this is the line, and here's the negative, the debt, we're not just asking him to to forgive the debt and bring us back to zero so that he looks at us as, well, I don't have to punish you because you don't have debt, but as far as you're concerned, you're kind of eh. But we're asking him positively to look at us as though we are righteous in his sight, to look upon us in such a way that he's pleased with us. This is bold. Very bold. In fact, it's so bold I don't know about you, but I would never dare do this if it wasn't for the fact that the Lord Jesus himself commands me to do this, to simply come before God and to honestly say all the things that I've done in the motions of my heart and how they've been directed to self and not to him and say, look at them, God, and forgive them. Just be done with them. I'm not going to try to, to work them off. I'm not going to spend the next couple years of my life trying to pay the debt. I just want you to be done with it. This is an astoundingly bold thing he's teaching us to pray. And yet, on the other hand, if we are children of God, Christians, regenerated, justified, Is he really teaching us to pray this anymore? Maybe this is a petition that we're only supposed to pray once in our life and then be finished with it. After all, whenever it is that we first believed, does he not exonerate us from all of our sins? Does he not justify us? Does he not declare us righteous in his sight? Does he not say you are forgiven for all the debt of your sins, past, present, and future? Does he not say you are righteous? The righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to you. And if he's done that already to us in our life, why do we have to keep praying this? Maybe 
Jesus' point was just that you pray this petition once in your life and then you're done with it. And in fact, there are some who would teach that, who do teach that and say, in fact, that if you keep praying this fifth petition, you're denying the work of Jesus Christ. You're denying what he did on the cross. You're denying what he did in justification when he justified you whenever that was in your life. But beloved, that's incorrect, utterly incorrect. You know it's incorrect, first of all, because Jesus is teaching his disciples who are already regenerated and justified this prayer. He's teaching his disciples to say, Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our debts. And you can't call him Father unless you're already his child, justified. And so he's telling them to pray this as justified saints. And also, he isn't telling them to pray this only once. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, etc. Not when you pray once, but when you pray, are we supposed to pray, give us this day our daily bread one time? Obviously, our daily bread is something we pray for every day. So to this, he's expecting us to pray this over and over again. It is true, of course, that Jesus has gone to the cross and has legally taken away the debt of all our sins before Jehovah God. And if you are a true believer here today, you've been justified in your life. What Lord's Day 23 already informed us about is true. That God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. That's true. From that legal point of view, the guilt and the debt that we're talking about is already gone, completely gone. The debt for sins we have committed, the debt for sins that we will commit later, is gone. It was taken by Christ upon the cross. And we were exonerated of that debt in our life in justification. But that doesn't mean that we stop praying for the forgiveness of sins. And if anybody thinks that it does, then just try it once. Try to stop praying for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a true child of God, it will be impossible. You won't be able to go very long without praying it. The Christian naturally prays this petition as he lives before the face of God because he feels the guilt upon himself for his sins. And he feels the burden lifted off of him when he prays, confessing and repenting and asking God to exonerate him and to forgive him. And the reason for that It's because when we pray this petition as we live before the face of God, we're not praying that Christ go to the cross again and pay now for this new sin that I've committed and take it away. And it's not because we're praying, 
God, I've lost my justification. I've lost the state of grace in which I was in. And now I'm praying, oh God, that you would justify me again. We're praying. That God take what he's done in Jesus Christ on the cross. That he take that declaration he's granted in justification. And he apply that to me again now. So that I know that it is true with regard to this sin and these sins that I have now committed and for which I know guilt. From a purely objective point of view, beloved, all the sins of God's true people are gone. Justified in Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is no hellfire on the day of judgment. But from the subjective point of view, our, still, our sins still bring us the experience of guilt. And the only way for that guilt to be removed and for the distance between us and God to be taken away so that we experience a reconciled God to us. So that we know justification as applied to us in our own conscience now with regard to these sins is that we pray to him this petition honestly from the heart and ask of him the bold thing that Jesus teaches us to ask of him that's why we must pray, and that's why we do pray. That's why we can't but continue to pray. Forgive us our debts, oh God. Here's what they are. Forgive them. I can't go very long. You can't go very long without knowing God's forgiveness applied to the conscience. Maybe the best way to think about it is in terms of God's displeasure with regard to our sins. Never is it the case that God's wrathful vengeance is upon us because of our sins, if we are true children of Jehovah God. That vengeful wrath of God has been satisfied by Jesus Christ upon the cross, but we still feel His fatherly displeasure at our sin upon ourselves within the confines of the relationship He has established with us. And no child of God can deny it. Who has not felt the heavy hand that David felt as a child of God justified? In Psalm 51 that he describes after his horrific sin with Bathsheba. Who has not felt something of that? Even if you haven't committed the sin that he committed. Who has not felt something of what the canons describe? As the, the fatherly displeasure of God. But a displeasure that burns so hot it's more bitter than death to us. And that the canons describe as grievous torments of conscience. In our sin we feel his displeasure. It's a displeasure that's driven by love. As an earthly father's displeasure is driven by love. It's a displeasure with an intent to restore, not to place upon us retributive justice, 
but it is displeasure. If a son asks his father, Father, I'd like to work on my bicycle. May I use your tools? And the father says, yes, sure, yeah. Just, just make sure when you're finished, you put all the tools away, back where you got them. Okay, Dad, I will, I will. The father goes to work, comes home, pulls into the driveway. There at the base of the driveway, there's something is shining, reflecting the light of the sun into his eye. He discovers it's a few of his, his sockets that have rolled to the bottom of the driveway. And he, he keeps going into the driveway, and he sees where they rolled from. The whole set of sockets is, is strewn across the, the driveway floor. And there in, the, there in the yard is a couple of screwdrivers that have been tomahawked into the lawn. And other tools that are off over here. He gets out of his car, and his son comes riding up on his bike that's functioning well now, and it takes the son about this long to see the look in his father's face and realize what he's done and the displeasure of his father. And he knows that displeasure and the, and the lump in his throat and the churning in his stomach because he knows he deserves it. But whatever that child thinks and knows and experiences of his father's displeasure, the son does not worry, does he, that what's going to happen now is that his father is going to go inside the house and call up his lawyer and begin the process of legally disowning his son. He knows that he is his son and will always be his son. And he knows that the displeasure is not a displeasure that seeks to end and undo the relationship altogether, but one that is found within the relationship. The son understands this. And that within the, the confines of this father-son relationship, his sin brings this tension and this fatherly displeasure upon him that can be fiery hot. And so when the father confronts his son, the son says, I'm sorry, Dad. I have no, I don't, I have no excuses. I told you I was going to put them away and I didn't. I'm sorry. And the father forgives him. And the relationship is restored. Go pick him up now. But the relationship is restored. And so too the child of God before his heavenly father. The true child of God knows without a doubt that his sins are not something that lead his father to disown him as a child. That's the preservation of the saints. This cannot happen. 
but within the confines of this relationship. His sins create the experience of a barrier between himself and his God and the unsmiling countenance of his Father upon him. He knows that his Father is displeased with him inside this relationship. And like the son petitions his father, confessing his sins honestly. The child of God before his father confesses his sins honestly. Do you do that? You do, don't you? Do it. Come clean before him. I have no excuses for this, God. There are things about the circumstances, perhaps, that I can explain to you that explain why this was a temptation to me. But there's a part of this for which I have no excuse. It was simply me turning away from the mark towards the mark of soul itself. That's what it was. I confess this and I repent. I turn from it. Forgive me. That confession is the evidence of real sonship. And God does what we ask. Astoundingly. He takes away the experience of guilt before him. He tells me that I am restored. He applies the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon the cross. He applies the declaration of justification once for all time to my conscience right now with regard to this specific sin. He does that in my own prayer as I am praying it to Him. He does it when I come then to the house of God on the Lord's day and the Gospel is declared to me from the pulpit. Maybe not always this directly as I'm going to declare it to you now, but it's declared to us so that the the Christ Himself, through the preaching of the Word, declares to God's people, you who genuinely confess your sins and repent of them, in Christ's name, I declare you to be forgiven of those sins, exonerated of them, so that you are loosed from them in heaven as you are loosed from them on the earth. And in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the child of God comes. And with that confession and repentance in his heart and that honesty and openness before God, what is declared to him is sealed and signified so that he knows it again and again Doesn't mean the consequences go away. When God applies this this work of Jesus Christ to my conscience, it doesn't mean the consequences go away. The son still gets punished for not putting the tools away. The thief on the cross was forgiven all his sins, but he didn't then get to come down from the cross. The consequences, the bitter consequences of sin will still be there in our life. But I may know The relationship has been restored. 
and that I'm not held accountable for these sins before the tribunal of God. Each time we pray this honestly and experience this forgiveness of God, it's not our repentance, it's not our faith, it's not our confession, but it's the atoning work of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago that is the ground for God to say to us, and I do exonerate you, and I don't hold it against you. Our faith is the instrument. Our repentance is the way along which this comes, without which not. But the ground is ever the cross of Jesus Christ and his atoning work. And so we appeal to it when we pray too. On the basis of what Christ has done. Forgive me of these things, O God. We're taught to pray this petition. And ask for this. in the way of our forgiving of others too. Forgive us our debts as or even as we forgive our debtors. Verse 12. And then in case we weren't listening very closely, a few verses later the Lord comes back to this and says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Which doesn't mean that our forgiveness of others is the ground for his forgiveness of us or a work that we perform that somehow earns his forgiveness of us, but means this, that if we know the atoning work of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of God in our own conscience, the result will be that we forgive others who sin against us and who genuinely confess their sins. So much so is that the case that if we don't forgive others who genuinely confess their sin, it is utterly impossible that we know the forgiveness of God to us. We forgive as he forgives. And we're called to pattern our forgiveness upon the forgiveness of God. And therefore we pray, God, forgive me and continue to forgive me as you have taught me to forgive others and as I now carry that out in my life, knowing your forgiveness. We follow his pattern. And part of that pattern is that another's forgiveness from me is going to be known in the way of repentance. That there has to be repentance, genuine repentance for the relationship to be restored. If that son never confessed and said sorry to his father, or what he did with his tools if he just turned around and said, whatever, dad, and went and started kicking the, the sockets as he went and slammed the door and went down to his room, there would be no restoration of the relationship at that point. So too in every relationship. There can't be this restoration of forgiveness apart from this genuine, real repentance that confesses all of what it was and forsakes it. 
It doesn't give me the right to live in bitterness. It doesn't give me the right to not have this, this desire to forgive, what's sometimes called a dispositional forgiveness. I'm, I'm ready to forgive in my heart. But it can't be experienced apart from the confession and repentance of another. When genuine repentance is there, beloved, then the forgiveness is ready to come forth. Again and again, 70 times 7, if there's genuine, real repentance, so that every time someone sins against me, it's the first time. Because I've forgiven the last time, and it's gone. May God give us the grace as we experience His overflowing graciousness that He answers this request. Astoundingly, this bold request that when others request it of us in genuine repentance, that we give it astoundingly, graciously, as His grace comes to us. Amen. Father, bless us under the hearing of thy word. Increase our faith, forgive our sins, and make us to know the joy of sin forgiven and to live heartily unto the Lord in gratitude for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.